Okay, let's hear the gospel story. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town of Galilee, Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the name of the virgin was Mary. And the angel came to Mary, and the angel said, Rejoice, favored one, the Most High God is with you. Now, she was troubled by the angel's words and pondered. Do you know what pondered means? It means you think. Pondered what sort of greeting was this? Then the angel said to her, Fear not, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Sovereign God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his sovereignty there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I have not known a man intimately? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit, she will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the one born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now Elizabeth, your kinswoman, has even conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for she who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the woman slave of God. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel left her. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, thanks be to God. We are going to sing together 237, and let's go ahead and stand in body or in spirit as we sing, Now the Heavens Start to Whisper, 237.
people of God, how good it is to be with you this Advent season. Before I dive into like the sermon proper, I want to say how ambivalent I feel about many of the stories we're going to be hearing this season. They are stories that I love. Um, and because this is Will's Gaffney, Will Gaffney's year W, they are almost all stories of women. So close to my heart. And they're birth stories. Or more accurately, they are miraculous conception stories. So I am ambivalent about this because it can be frustrating to only hear stories of women in the context of birth. Welcome to the Bible. <laughs> um, and because I have felt the frustration of having any new life experience being equated with birth, it can feel, and it can feel deflating, actually devastating even, to hear story after story of women in the Bible who have conceived because of God's miraculous intervention when you are unable to have a child yourself. So I am ambivalent. And yet I love Advent. And I love these stories of my foremothers in faith. I love to listen in on the conversations between women and God. And I hope to be able to use these stories. I think we as a pastoral team hope to be able to use these stories to broaden the lens of understanding, to think about God's breaking in, in all of the ways that that happens. To use the stories of those who came before us in faith and in scripture in a way to understand our relationship with what God is doing and how God is doing something new. And I am, the other reason I love these stories, after becoming a parent myself, is because they take me to my own birth stories. Stories of my own birth to my parents, and stories of being one who births. In my own first pregnancy, I longed for stories. I wanted to hear the story of my own birth, and so my mother and I had conversations with about what that was like for her. I was grateful to be reminded by Discipleship Council as we were talking about these, when we were discussing Advent, that we all have a birth story, every single one of us, because we were born. We were born. My parents talk about how when I was conceived in the middle of a Labrador winter, high up north on the east coast of Canada, that they had to do something to keep warm. <laughs> wink, wink. This is about as raunchy as my mother's humor gets. And I've also been told that as a couple in their mid-20s, having just finished a term with Mennonite Central Committee, this is why they were in Labrador, that I was born right at, as they left that term of service during my dad's first month of work as a teacher, and I came right after payday, and how grateful they were for that first check. At my shower for my first pregnancy, uh, I invited people to tell me stories of birth and labor. And I encourage you to ask Jennifer about her, um, her labor story with Vanessa, which has stuck with me. You can ask her about that. When I miscarried in my second pregnancy, 
It was y'all's stories of miscarriage and loss that really buoyed me. It was those lost, those stories of lost pregnancy that helped me weather that grief. And I think actually the tears are coming now because of my gratitude so much more than the grief, which, you know, that was years and years ago already. It was very special to me to receive stories of other women who had had that common experience. An all too common experience, frankly, but one that is rarely talked about. For my third pregnancy, I had a doula. Her name was Lynn Lambie. And a doula's job is to be a companion and an assistant in labor. But Ori's birth happened so fast and with such relative ease, certainly compared to Naomi's, Naomi's birth, that Lynn had, uh, had very little to do. But one of the things that she did was offer to record that story of that birth. And afterwards, she shared a written record of that with us to have as a keepsake. So I think of these experiences of mine, of my mother's, when I think about Mary's surprise visit by that messenger, Gabriel. I think of how the stories of other women in Mary's life would have meant something to her. Just as stories of other people who were bringing children into the world meant something to me. And I wonder about Mary's experience. I wonder whose stories was she thinking about when Gabriel appeared to her with this message. She did not have what to expect when you were expecting. She did not have the internet comparing the size of her child to a fruit or vegetable. But she had thousands of years of sacred scripture telling her the story of God's people, including the story of God being with women who were laboring and giving birth. Stories of God coming to women and telling them about how they were going to bring something new into the world. Many stories that we'll be hearing. Hannah, Sarah, we heard about Hagar. My impression of Mary, and probably because of how often she seems to ponder things, is that she's thoughtful and intelligent, curious. When Gabriel appears to her, she is rightly skeptical. That is why I love that picture that I showed before so much where her eyes are just like, she is giving Gabriel some serious side eye in that picture. Like, favored? What could that mean? Pregnant? How? She's young, probably all of 13, but she is not naive. She is aware of the biology of how babies come into the world. She probably lived in a large household full of people who were doing all kinds of things right around her in one big room. So she is curious, but she does have these experiences of women who came before, who talked to God about how God was going to do a new thing. And if those aren't enough, Gabriel says, here's another story for you, your relative Elizabeth, even now, is pregnant. Her geriatric pregnancy, like truly geriatric, I was a geriatric 
uh, I had geriatric pregnancies, but nowadays that just means 37 years old. And she ponders. And then her answer is yes. Yes, I will become the doula of God. I took Greek in seminary, so I learned that those roots are the same. Doula means slave or servant. The same roots for those words. But when I was reminded of it this time around, it hit me in a new way. God, Mary is promising to be God's birth companion. She will be a storyteller for God in the same way that Lynn was a storyteller for me. God's breaking into the world, and Mary will tell the story, and we're going to hear it from her mouth in a few weeks when she proclaims the Magnificat. She is literally telling the story with her voice and with her body. I wonder if Mary had Hagar in her mind when she spoke this commitment to the angel to be the slave girl, the doula of God. Hagar, who also had God's messenger appear to her, who was a conversation partner with the divine, who was not like Mary, was not conventional, con coupled in a conventional way, whose situation made her an outsider in her family and community. I wonder if Mary thought of the ways that she, Mary, was given a choice as Hagar was not in her pregnancy whose enslavement was forced, but Mary was able to say yes. Mary was able to choose to tell God's story and partner in bringing Jesus into the world. God works through God's people, through Mary's people. And God works in the world, and Mary saw herself as one in that line of women and men and people who were God's folk. Overwhelming, I'm sure, to Mary, but also grounding in knowing these were people who did it, and I too can do it. For Mary, telling God's story along with God is about her body. Her creation of something new will come from her body, a new family of God that is a nuclear family for her. But God creates newness and new family in all kinds of ways. God creates family and kin in so many ways. And part of that is through the stories we tell with each other that tie us together as kin. Those stories become foundational, not just for birth-made birth families, but for families of all kinds. So for example, I'm probably going to get a little teary when I tell this one. So many of you know that Heidi, who's here, I think, Heidi and I have known each other since we were in the womb. <laughs> Heidi's family and my family have never lived in the same town, but since our parents were college students, we have been kin. Years of camping trips and sleepovers grew into stories and lore that have been told and retold whenever our families gather. Like how Heidi and I consistently lagged far behind on family hikes, limping along on our improvised hiking poles and just feeding each other's misery at being forced into such a horrible activity. 
Or the time when Heidi had her had recently had her ears pierced, and in the middle of the night on the hide bed, I woke up with a gold stud stuck in my back <laughs> instead of into into Heidi's ears, and her dad had to put it back in. It hurt so bad. <laughs> I mean, she can tell you. I just I just watched. Or when Heidi's youngest, youngest sister, Erica, was not quite 13 yet, but the rest of us siblings and were all teens and young adults, and we teased Erica mercilessly because she was so easy to tease about being a PT, a preteen. And for some reason, this just like got under her skin. She hated it so much. And just the laughter, the laughter like we laugh every, I mean, it's our, our dad's laughter especially that just rings in my ears. Story is foundational in creating those kinship connections. And the same is true of all kinds of creation. It is possible that some ideas come whole cloth out of nowhere, but for many creators and artists, the work that they do is inspired by other artists and other creators and other stories that have gone before them. And the work too itself, it holds a story just as the art we saw of Mary and the Annunciation was inspired by story and tells its own story. Monty Yellowbird talks about the connection between story and medium in the work he does with ledger art an art form that we became familiar with because of the, the picture that's hanging on the wall at the back that was a gift to Melanie and Jonathan from our congregation. Uh, Monty Yellowbird talks about his art about being the reclamation of this colonial story and yet telling a new story through his art. And this is a quote from him. During its popular, popular era, it reflected a dark time for Native people. But the art was telling stories and leaving legacies of honor and respect and what our people really represented. During the era of ledger art, our people were forced to change, but we maintained a lot of good solid values and respect. The depictions really emulate that era. The process of doing ledger art is emulating qualities that are important to us. And I think that's what I want to say about my art. I don't follow a traditional st style because I don't live in that time but I'm bringing that era forward using my style. And I like to say it's story-oriented. Not just a story, but teachings, traditional teachings, and yet universal to everybody. In the ledger art that became a part of the art that, that the Neufeld, we gave, we gave art to Melanie and Jonathan, and then they gave it back to us in the form of a copy that they added their message to, part of their story of being in our congregation, and part of the story of others who had written on that ledger, both the first time when it was used in its original form, and then when the artist took it to a gathering of other people from around the world, and then with Melanie and Jonathan, and then it was ours. It becomes a part of our story. Mary was a part of the long narrative of God's intervention into the world. An angel appears with a proclamation. Just as messengers have appeared before for others whose stories she knows, and she ponders, she questions, and she says yes. She gives herself over to the creator 
to participate in this new creation, something she cannot imagine, but it is ready to take part in. It seems unlikely that any of us will encounter an honest-to-goodness angel appearing before us in our kitchens. But God's inbreaking power is something we have the potential to experience, and maybe some of you have experienced. Megan is probably going to ask you about that a little later on. We experience it through human messengers. We experience it through imagination and creativity. We experience it in the natural world in God's creation. In many ways, we experience God's inbreaking every time we start down a new path, every time our own creative juices begin to flow. May we open our hearts to that inbreaking, our eyes to see God's messengers, our ears to hear the story so that we can in turn continue telling the creative and saving power of God through Jesus. Amen.